0: Attention Marines, it's time for Leatherneck Magazine's annual writing contest and we want to know what you think makes a good leader. The history of the Corps is filled with legendary examples of outstanding leaders and today's Marines maintain that tradition of excellence. Drawing from our storied history or from your own experience, describe the single most important thing you have learned about leading Marines or describe an outstanding Marine Corps leader and what makes them successful. Submit your story by March 31st, and you can win up to $1,000 in prize money. Your story may also be featured in a future issue of Leatherneck. Visit www.mca-marines.org for more details or to submit your entry form. Good luck and semper fi, Mac! Hey, Scuttlebutt listeners, thank you uh, again so much for joining us, um, and thank you for your uh, continued support. Um, really, honestly, couldn't do this without you Also, uh, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. And I am here with Nancy.
1: Hi, everyone.
0: And we've got a wonderful guest, but before uh, I have him uh, rock the microphone, I just want to do a quick intro because this is such an uh, We were just talking uh, before uh, we hit record here that the story that we're going to unpack today is really just so engaging. We've had a lot of you know really uh, dynamic, wonderful guests. Uh, and, and today's guest is by no means an exception. This is going to be great. Um, but just to do the intro part before I have you uh, you speak is that today's guest is a former Marine or veteran marine, veteran Marine What's the word? Um, But born in Karachi, Grew up in Maryland, moved to Virginia, and then joined the Marine Corps in 1996, got out as a sergeant, has a bachelor's degree from uh, George Washington, a master's degree from uh, George Mason, pursuing a doctorate at Vanderbilt, was a teacher, then became the Virginia Secretary of Education, and now you're running for Congress in Virginia's 10th district, uh, Scuttlebutt listeners, I really am so excited to be welcoming Atif Karni to the show. I thank you so much for being here.
2: Yeah, thank you. Uh, good morning, Vic Nancy. Thank you so much for having me on today. I'm really
0: excited. Yeah, happy to is, have you here. Yeah, this is so cool. Um, so we were talking a little bit. Uh, for our uh, return listeners, know that you know I come from a refugee family, a family of refugees, um, and all of the dynamics that that entailed. But you. Immigrated. Uh, could you tell us just a little bit about your journey uh, here uh, in Pakistan, here in the U.S., as, you know, growing up, sort of getting acclimatized to uh, Western American culture and then joining the Marine Corps? Like, what was that like? I mean, that's such a rapid progression of monumental milestones within someone's life i mean even one of those things you could hang your hat on is like i've lived a fulfilling life and you did them all in the span of like seven years yeah
2: no this this is very exciting so i came here at the age of 10. Uh, we moved to baltimore from karachi pakistan Uh, so it was me my two little brothers my mom uh, came in december of 88 so actually I remember going to the mall because it was kind of like Christmas holiday time Oh, and, nice, and seeing yeah. who is this red, a uh, person in red, what is this? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, uh, learning English for the first time, acclimating to this, fa- uh, you know, a fascinating new culture and the timing was awesome. So I have those memories um, uh, as well. So we, my parents are still in Baltimore so they made th- that their home. Uh, you know, I've obviously moved around and been in Virginia for 20 plus years. Uh, so the school experience was, you know, amazing. A lot of good memories.
0: That well, that's what, fifth grade?
2: I came in middle of fifth grade. Okay. okay. Yep. Elmwood Elementary uh, in Baltimore. Mr. Teeter was my first teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, amazing teacher. Actually, when I became secretary of education, I, uh, wanted to reach out to him to say thank you for being so kind because as a, as an immigrant, I didn't know any English, so you know there's a little bit of teasing that happens sure, uh, uh, sure people make fun of your accent and so forth but Mr. Teeter was very uh, kind and just you know really yeah. handled the situation really well so I really remember that so I wanted to reach out to him. Unfortunately he passed uh, so I spoke with his uh, with, with his wife because the principal put us in, in touch. But the what I was not surprised about is that they dedicated a wing after Mr. Teeter. Oh, Because wow, he oh taught nice. at LMN2. He was just phenomenal. Yeah. So, you know, teachers make a big difference.
1: Oh, they sure do. Yeah. 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 So Don't make a fun. lot of money, but make a they, hell the, of a yeah, difference. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Just like Marines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There you go. Ooh, well done. Yeah. yeah. Semper
0: Fi. <laughs> that's right. um, so that's an interesting. So what were some of those challenges like, you know, having been, the stinky food kid uh you know growing up yeah. what was that like um because i had you know a, a grasp of the language so my integration I, I, was, I was the first american born american in my family and so uh, that transition was seamless even though i was still bringing a lot of the eastern culture with me i was still very american there wasn't i didn't have there wasn't a, a, a climatization process right you coming in the middle of fifth grade i mean did they have esl uh for uh, ordu, ordu speakers or so back then they yeah. didn't because okay. it
2: wasn't as diverse and you know we're talking about the late 80s yeah yeah in baltimore so uh it wasn't the esl el programs were not as robust mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. yes yeah, so they did have i think they hired specifically someone who came in once a week to kind of meet with me to work on my english uh, skills uh, but it wasn't like a thing. It wasn't fully uh, kind of scaled yeah. at that level just yet. Uh, but I think that uh, you know how you, uh, that sink or swim approach where you mm. just go right. I think I learned better at English because I was fully just yeah, assimilated. Yeah. But one of the things is that of course you know the early years. You know you're still figuring out the culture. People are getting to know you. You're getting to know them. But re- what really helped me um, in middle school, but especially high school. Is sports um, activities because I ran track and field played football and that's something that was a common ground where we all uh, yes. you know make, you make a lot of friends you become part of uh, a group a network uh, so that helped me a lot as a matter of fact the reason I joined the marines it was my two friends I ran track and field with who were signing up and they encouraged me they said hey you know uh, I told them that I was really fascinated with joining the military and they're like the marines are the the best, the yeah, best of the best. So you do. That's what you do. So yeah. they actually encouraged me. You
0: got truly credit for yes, that too. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. I think they did. I think yeah. they did. Uh, yeah.
1: Did they also become Marines?
2: They, they did. They did. Yes. We were in PI together at boot camp together. That's oh, nice. really cool. Yeah. You still in touch with them? One of them I am. The other one I have lost in touch. Uh, just, but one of them I am. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that's uh. So you had sort of this this calling, uh, to serve. Uh, you had two friends that helped you know get you through the door uh what was it like so you've you've now sort of you're planting roots uh you're you're uh you know integrating well clearly into this I guess it would be northern Virginia now at that at this point right were you in so um after you still I, in
2: Baltimore? yeah so I joined the marines I uh, was in the reserves I got okay. a couple of deployments you know main one and uh, during Operation Iraqi Freedom. So my wife and I, my, one of the things that my parents uh, uh, had a challenge when I was signing up is that they didn't expect me to join the military. Uh, my dad was got very excited. He said, sure. like, this is really cool, yeah, right? Yeah. I'm very supportive of it. My mother was not. She was worried that you know it's, it's not gonna be safe. And um, so the recruiters actually had to come and I told the recruiters, you need to convince my mother. My mom has to. She's the boss of the family, so you need to come and sit down with her. And it's a cultural thing. You she'll cook you food. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've ever had Pakistani food. But oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. So they came. They, you know, I think they their palates were really opened up with the thing. But <laughs> but I'm like, you gotta convince her. Uh, you know. Uh, so they came and she felt really good about the recruiters coming down, sitting down, and explaining to them what the Marine Corps experience like. Yeah. Uh, so they won her over. So it that was. A challenge but the deal I had with my parents is that I had to get a college degree education as well. Mm. Because that was they they don't have that and they it was really important for them is that they came to America to give their kids an opportunity. So that was okay a no uh uh you know, it was non negotiable sure. for all three of us that we had to get a college education. Yeah. It's yeah.
1: part of that American dream. It is.
0: It is. Yeah, and it it's is. such an interesting thing. Uh we talked about it a little bit on the show with other uh, Marines who come from immigrant families but one of the interesting things that I've found is uh, for the first generation or the, the, the children of the immigrants education is such a big deal because it's seen as that way to immediately start climbing the ladder um, it's, it was such a huge push for my family that all of the kids end up being like in some sort of professional field, be it doctors, lawyers, or whatever, because you're you're automatically now in a higher status position. And it was such a, it's such a thing. And, and um, yeah, so I definitely, it resonates with me, this idea that like, you got to do college. You got to do college. Yeah. It, and, and yeah, and I wasn't ready, but yeah, Nancy, you were going to... Oh, I was just going
1: to say, it in, in my family as well, uh, although several generations removed from the first... Immigrants in the family to this country, but education and higher education was always a Mm non-negotiable because my dad, particularly, grew up extremely poor, and education was really his only way for opportunity. And so it was just like there wasn't even it wasn't ever even questioned that there 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 was no option. YouTube influencers back then. Correct. (laughs) 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 Correct. Because hard work and education. Is what opened the door to opportunities for, for him.
0: Right. Absolutely. So what then was that like? Um, because again, you do, you, you enter into a, a new culture, mm-hmm. uh, when you, you're, you know, you hit the yellow footprints, like, yeah, what was that like then? Uh, were you fully prepared? Like I, I get when I'm, you know, the recruiters prepare you like I, I'm ready for this yeah. or you're like, this is another like sort of inflection point.
2: Um, you know, I, the Marine Corps changed my life. I mean, it was, I had a great experience. Great experience. Um, because, uh, you know, it's just this network of folks who, you know, they protect you. You feel like part of it, right? Mm-hmm. So going through, through it, and I, 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 it actually helped me with, you know, um, discipline and structure, that those are some core elements, but also just a sense of um, caring about others, right? Because, you know, you don't leave anybody behind. And so the with, with Marine service, you know, you generally don't talk about the, the care and empathy you have for your team and your squad and everybody around you mm-hmm. and your platoon. But that's a core component of being a Marine, right? Sure. You look out for each other. So it really, you know, instilled in me a lot of values, really emphasized that, that, you know, I have held on to. So it was it was transform, transformational yeah uh, for me even more than my college experience. I'm being just frank with you. Sure. Uh, so going back to the college, you know, I did my undergrad at GW. So that's where my wife and I also she's a daughter of immigrants. Uh, her dad was uh, an immigrant from Iran. So we met at GW. So after I finished my service, then we settled in Virginia. Okay, gotcha.
1: Can I go back a little bit sure. to yeah. you were talking about the recruiters had to convince your mom. That this was a good idea. How did they do that? What did they say to her? What what was the the sticking point for her, or what made her feel like it was okay?
0: And then also, if we could, again, what's the timeline of this? Sure, this
2: is uh, I was a senior in high school, so you're talking about uh, early '96. Okay. Uh, because I literally so Clinton era Marine Clinton
0: era Marine Corps. Era yeah. Marine Corps. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's that's a good context. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. what was happening back then? Mm-hmm.
2: Uh. Gosh, I don't, you even have to ask her what convinced her, uh, I don't remember the details of the conversations, but, you know, they were, they explained how it it, it gives structure and it's good, um, and they said, you know, well, he can also leverage the GI Bill for college education. I mm-hmm. think that conversation came up. Her main concern was the safety component, sure. because nobody in our military has ever served, uh, nobody in our families ever served in the military. So, uh, you know, and when I was deployed to Iraq, I mean, her health really declined a lot because she was very, very um, anxious and stressed. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was just a safety thing. But I think that they had the conversation that, hey, we will we do good training and this is good. Um, So she warmed up to that uh, eventually. But I don't know exactly what was that one thing that. uh...
1: And when she gave you her approval, was it? sort of reluctant approval
2: definitely it was a reluctant approval but she's really proud of it now that she looks back and she talks to her friend she's like you know my son was in the marines yeah how was family
0: day then family day at at the pi so one of your questions
2: you know was that what was your best memory actually that is my best memory at pi graduating that feeling because my grandfather had uh just immigrated in 95 96 also uh, they had retired from pakistan So my grandfather and my father and my mother and my two brothers came down for the graduation. uh, And it was it was special. Like tears in their. I mean, these are folks I've never seen tears in their eyes. They have both. (laughs) um, (laughs) They're tough dudes. Right. So it was special for them. My mom, they were all proud. Um, So it was it was a very special
0: day. That's so cool. That's wonderful. Yeah. 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 That was one of the things. So my mom obviously freaked out because I just did it. So there was no like <laughs> talking to it because I was a uh, you know I was uh, was a junior in college, um, and so I just did it and so flipped out yeah and uh, but yeah once she saw me at graduation getting uh, my bars pinned on in my blues. Uh, she's like, all right, yeah, I guess this is pretty sweet. And it was the same way. All my uncles were like, "Kick ass, man!" That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, my mom was not. It's pleased. it's
1: always the mom. Yeah. What is it? Yeah. <laughs> they want to protect their babies. Oh, absolutely. Right? Oh, sure. So. I I can so relate to both of those perspectives. The you know if you, if you can't convince mom, then it's an uphill battle. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, so then, all right. So you're in the reserves. Um, are you still attending? You're you're also at G Dub, so you're drill you're a drilling reserves. Drilling,
2: yep, drilling. Uh, every month. Uh, all the summer stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, all the A T D, doing that. Uh, finish up G Dub. Uh, we were. So my wife uh, and I, then the, you know, Operation Iraqi Freedom started, so... As you um, say, were you
0: actually teaching at the time? I had not 9/11? started. Okay. I,
2: yeah, actually, as a matter of fact, I, I made a decision to teach while I was on deployment. Mm. So I got deployed in 03. Uh, my wife and I had just gotten married. Um, she was still at GW, finishing her undergrad. I had just started working. Uh, so, uh, the you know, the de- uh, obviously, September 11th happens. Yep. Uh, you fast forward a little bit where you know. Uh, and were you
0: inter- in DC at the time? Were I was in, in DC.
2: Actually, I was uh, not. Few, uh, I was only a few blocks from the White House. Good grief! So my wife works for Department of Energy. Okay. Um, she had not gone to work just yet, and we lived in the waterfront. Uh, where you know where the uh, Nat Stadium is? Yeah. Now? Yes. So we were in these apartments in the waterfront where she heard a big thump when the Pentagon was hit. Yeah um so we you know obviously heard the first tower getting hit i was working as a paralegal at this firm so the news was kind of breaking out and then I actually watched the second tower hit on television because in this conference room they gathered the employees so it was a lot of chaos sure. um and my office was on 13th and f so it's a few blocks from the white house so there was all kinds of stuff going on is that hey, here's the white house next what's yeah, happening right yeah so everybody's kind of running away, walking away from the White House. Me and my two friends. Everybody's angry. So I remember Chris and John are like, "We gotta go towards that." And so Chris, everybody's saying crazy things. They're like, "You know, I need my shotgun." I'm like, "Dude, what are you gonna do with a shotgun?" And I was thinking. <laughs> I think back at it, but everybody there was so much anxiety, fear, everything. You know, just the so unknown. Much unknown so there much was unknowns. so much unknown. Yeah, I don't know where you all were, but it was, you know, everybody has the, yeah. they remember that day. You know, wherever they were. Totally. Yeah, yeah you know, I was
0: uh, I was at Camp Pendleton. Uh, we had just finished PT, and we were getting ready to do our company formation. Yeah. And uh, so we're down on the ramp. The CEO comes down. Everybody, get to the – you know, this is before everybody had a TV. Get to the common area up right. at the barracks. So you go up there. Uh, one of my uh, my clerk was like, hey, sir, you hear somebody flew into the airplane into the World Trade Center. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was – a. Like one of those Cessnas or something. I'm like, yeah. what an idiot. Yeah. Like, how do you? <laughs> That's what initially we all thought. Yeah. Right? And is so like... I get up there, and same, like, just like you. Like, right as I get in the common area, you know, I like got the big screen in the yeah. barracks common area. I see the second plane hit. That's when you knew that. And you, then yeah. our battalion commander just issued, or everybody get to the armory. Because I don't know if you know Camp Pendleton, but where we're at at Camp Del Mar, the only thing that separates us from I 5 was a chain link fence. Mm-hmm. So everybody gets up. L.A.R. Uh, jams over to San Onofre nuclear power plant. The uh, like, same thing. Everybody's freaking out. Um, like any car or truck, especially that even like got a little too close to the fence, was like under someone's crosshairs. You know, with uh, distinguished marksmen all on the tops. Of, I mean, it was insane. Um, and we were in the shoot for deployment, so we're like. All right, I guess this is happening for us. Right. Anyways.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's why and my wife and I remember having this conversation uh, that evening. because some of but, but as we walked home to the waterfront because the metro was kind of chaotic, so a couple of them who lived in other parts of Virginia, they wanted to wait a little bit until the metro got under control. So they came, walked to my house, uh, my apartment, and we just kind of watched on television. But after they all left, my wife and I, we talked to them like... I don't know where, but I'm getting deployed. I'm just letting it (laughs) out. It's happening. happening. (laughs) It's happening. And we started prepping. Like, right there, like, you know, things got real, uh, really fast. Um, So Operation Iraqi Freedom, um, I got deployed in uh, January of Mm 2003 for a six-month tour in Iraq. So my wife was actually pregnant with her firstborn. So she Mm. was seven months pregnant. Um, So that was a very, uh, you know, Ref, you know, it, it provided a lot of reflection because I'm about to become a dad, getting deployed. I'm 25, but you know, I'm leading a lot of young men and women who are younger than me, so they're looking up to you, right? right. Yeah, you're right. NCO at this point, right? Exactly. Yeah. So what do you do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so took that very seriously, and uh, so during the deployment, I did a lot of reflection uh, because you know, I had because I'm coming from a background where we had a lot of economic fragility. Um, I was really thinking about, hey, I need to make a bunch of money, support my parents, family, and so forth. So I really had a tunnel vision. But that reflection was transformative because then over those six months, I really thought about that I want to do something more meaningful. So that's when that transition in my thinking occurred and meaningful, you know, thinking about Mr. Teeter, who had an impact on me or other people in my family who are educators. So that's why I I decided to go into education. So when I got back, you know, finished my marine service, uh, started to get a degree at Mason and transition into becoming a teacher um, in Virginia. So that's how that happened.
0: Yeah. Okay. How cool. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so you you're coming off a of deployment. Uh, you got your DD two fourteen in hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you're starting the teaching process and you went into, right into middle school or like what was how, what was that transition? So I had
2: to do, um, I had to f- get a master's mm-hmm. um, at George Mason University. And so I got it in U.S. history because I wanted to be a history teacher. Um, and uh, we, I also uh, got certified in mathematics because there were limited history positions. So in, just in case my program said he get a certification and everything, so I got hired as both. Uh, So I got officially, I started my student teaching in 2007. So you need a couple of years to kind of prep. Yeah. yeah. And then officially started in uh, 07 to teach um, in Prince William County schools. We had moved to Prince William County School, uh, Prince William County, uh, right after my Marine Corps service ended in 04. uh, We uh, moved uh, to Prince William. So I've been here for 20 years, but I started teaching in 07. Okay. 08. uh, time frame
0: yeah all right and then I mean, clearly, clear you know oh, oh this oh seven so i mean the war is still very much a mm-hmm. real thing is that how did you feel like your service not only being a, a marine but a you know combat veteran as you're looking at kids that are potentially heading that way um you know you've you're obviously have an inclination to run towards the chaos mm-hmm. middle school is nothing but <laughs> right. chaos okay. like how 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 was that did you feel like i'm ready for this or you know or another like i need to button my chin strap up this is going to go yeah. you know how how was that
2: yeah middle school teaching middle school if you can teach middle school you could do it well, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> honestly okay. uh and it's uh, uh so the first year when i started teaching um when I was hired, folks are like, hey, you know, bring your military experience there. It's inspiring for children, but also do, you know, bring structure and discipline. And mm-hmm. I learned a lot in the first few years because I feel like especially with middle schoolers, uh, you have to give children grace and let them be. Oh, sometimes yeah. That's wonderful. Too much, I love that. Yeah. 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 Sometimes too much structure and too much discipline can also be confining. confining. Yeah. yeah. That's, yes, exactly. So I, I, I learned a lot. Uh, yeah, in the first uh, you know couple of years is that when the, some of the veteran teachers who were mentoring me
0: you had some other veterans uh, uh, teachers, v- like
2: t- teachers who were not military oh, veterans, veteran. veterans, veterans gotcha, of teaching gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. there were some teachers who were veterans <laughs> okay. as well uh, but the teachers who were mentoring me um, they said, you know we appreciate the discipline and structure children ch- ch- need that, but kind of loosen the grip a little bit. Um, interesting and take a holistic approach. Because I taught in a Title I school, uh, if you all don't know what that is, it's, uh, where uh, there is a significant amount of students on free and reduced lunch. So there's a lot of students mm. from different immigrant backgrounds. Yeah, there's a yeah. lot of black and Latino children and immigrant children that, from my background as well, like South Asian, Muslim background. Yeah. Um, so I could relate to them on that perspective. Uh, but there was, uh, you know, children uh, have... know they have adverse experiences at home, so they might have had their own trauma. Uh, They're dealing with a lot of you know uh, basic needs issues. You know, you know malnutrition or yeah, the food insecurity. Food insecurity. There's immigration status, right? A lot Mm -hmm. of children in Prince William County, new immigrants. They're coming from mixed incomes, mixed status families where some of their parents might be undocumented. So there's a lot on them, and uh, so I think that that's what I realized. It took me a couple of years to come to their realization is that you have to meet the children where they are and really understand sure what they're going through. Uh, so it, um, I had to find a good balancing act that, you know, you yes, you want to provide structure um, uh, so we can learn in a safe environment, but also keep in mind is that, you know, they're going through a lot.
0: Yeah, sure. Things. Yeah. yeah I, I Obviously this was a big topic uh, during the pandemic. Um, as you know, it, you know, whereas one aspect of doing away with in person schooling was to, uh, you know, obviously prevent the spread of the, of the virus, but at the same time, like all of those families that relied on school meals, mm-hmm. um, uh, it's, it, it, it was a, an aspect of education that I didn't, I always took for granted as a child and then didn't really, it didn't resonate with me that. Yes, like you're mentioning, a very rigid structure. Whereas it does give direction. If I'm so hungry that I can't focus, and now I'm being browbeat over the structure, uh, I, I'm not getting anything out of here. Right. Like I'm actually, it's turning me away right. from the the fruits of uh, you know of an education right. sort of uh, outlook in life. So, yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. That's the thing. And there was, uh, during the pandemic, uh, while the school's buildings were closed and virtual instruction was going on, uh, Virginia, in Virginia, we were serving a quarter million meals every day across the state. Um, and I went to different sites, rural Virginia, urban settings, you name it, right? Mm-hmm. Nova and stuff. There's a lot of uh, food insecurities. Um and folks, actually, we would make grocery bags, so you're not giving lunch necessarily. So you, you know, bag of uh, a box of spaghetti and uh, spaghetti sauce right. and mac and cheese or whatever, right? Yeah. Uh, so I saw like you know lines of cars uh, because families, they do, you know, rely on those two meals that children get in school Monday through Friday. Um, uh, so it's uh, it's a big big
0: deal. It's huge. Yeah. I I I my heart just swelled at seeing those. Uh, lines and lines of people that were just waiting to deliver, not to receive, but to deliver. And then uh, heartbreaking when you'd see them, the lines of the people waiting to get it. But I mean, it really seemed like, at least from our perspective here in Northern Virginia, that like the outpouring of support for people, I think it was kind of a wake up call for all of us. Yes. That, oh shit, there's like more to this than just like curriculum. That's right. issues mm-hmm. um and i apologize if you did touch on this but as we're talking I mean, clearly you have a passion for children you have a passion from the institution of learning and, and for guiding and mentoring kids but like was there a sort of light bulb moment because like you said it, it happened while you're on deployment like was there something in iraq where you're like this is like this is my calling now i know what i have to." yeah
2: do. yeah no i i, I It wasn't a specific day. It was a series of things. So, you know, there was a disruption, uh, obviously, with the war going on. So I don't think there was regular schooling happening for... uh, It took uh, several months to kind of get things back on Mm -hmm. track. So a lot of children were out of school in Iraq, and you see them on the streets. Yeah. Um, Talked to some college students because we were at ad University. It's a sister campus of the University of Baghdad. What what um, area was that? ad It's about... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: yeah, We got... We had to do our op pause there. You had
2: to do op pause there, right?
0: And the fedayeen were on us, like, yeah, you know, yeah. white hot rice in a snowstorm, man. So
2: we had to set up shop there because, you know, we needed a lot of the bases were not really Iraqi bases were not really well equipped to set up mm-hmm. big operations. So universities generally were, but you had to do another negotiation, and that's one of the things that uh, folks don't realize about. Military, they're only thinking combat, combat, combat. But ninety percent of it is actually building relationships sure. and diffusing situations. So, we uh, had to, and be, me being from a, uh, you know, a Muslim culture, I don't speak Arabic. We had interpreters, hired interpreters. Mm-hmm. But I, uh, but one of the things you know often ended up happening is that having somebody who understood the culture and the norms and so forth, uh, it really brought temperatures down because folks are like, they are like, oh, what are you, right? right. They, they Some people thought I was Iraqi. They were trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. But because of that sharing that faith, it brought temperatures down because we had to negotiate with the local communities and college students to say, well, can we utilize the university to set up shop? Uh, you know, we won't take over the whole thing, but you can still like, so it, it was a lot of relationship building, but so it was a series of different things uh, wor- uh you know working with college students who, who we hired as interpreters they you know cuz they English was really they spoke English better than me actually many of them mm-hmm. um but also seeing the disruption in education there seeing the disruption in education with young children so it's a series of things that really got me thinking that education is so critical i know one of your questions you had sent over is that you know you, Your focus on education lane and why Congress, and sort of jump here a little bit. No, please. But yeah. my, my theory of change through experience is that um, everything is connected, right? So whether it's quality of uh, issues with housing or healthcare um, or whatever, I think education is not only the e- great equalizer, but it's, the, uh, it's also the great stabilizer. Mm. And oh, yeah. I think the reason we have, like, you know, crime went up a lot after the pandemic, especially in urban areas. Why? there's a lot of economic fragility right why does generally crime go up is then when there's a lot of instability why does terrorism or why is it that you know extreme groups can exploit people um, and recruit them uh, for terror activities when there's a lot of instability and economic fragility right so I think this impacts us locally and globally. Sure. So my theory of change is that if we can take a cross systems approach and really address the basic needs of people, I think they're less vulnerable yeah. to being exploited. Um, so that's where, you know, it's kind of that reflection uh, that started in as a uh, when I was 25 going into education, but then it's evolved over time, right? In the last 20 years, as I worked. In this field and working, you know, to do a lot of policy stuff is that, you know, I think we just are leaving a lot of people behind, and leaving them vulnerable to uh, political exploitation or whatever. And Something's got to fill the void. Yeah, something is, and that's why I yeah. think we see a lot of, you know, politicians going in and dividing us because mm-hmm. we're not really addressing the quality of life yeah. issues meaningfully. Yeah, so. yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Or, or looking for something you talked about a few minutes ago was that common ground that you had and so I, I think more and more just as a society we aren't looking for common ground we're looking for what divides us and then we really dig into that yes. as opposed to okay what 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 do we all have in common what can we all talk about I mean in this room right now you guys immediately had something to talk about that's the Marine Corps and and you had that common ground right away sometimes it's a little harder to find it and generally, we don't encourage that anymore mm-hmm. in right, right. society. Yeah.
2: Food, sports, you know, music. Hey, but there's a lot that brings us together, you know. But, uh, you know, it's just the thing is we don't talk about it. But I think that, so I traveled all across Virginia. I've been to rural settings where are predominantly uh, white settings. I've been to rural settings that are predominantly black settings, right? It's still, there's segregated systems all across Virginia. Uh, I've been to very, you know, Diverse settings, you know, of NOVA and so forth. Sat down with different communities. Everybody wants the same thing for their children, right? Sure. They want a good education. They want the, a good health for them. Yeah. Um, everybody wants the same thing.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 along those lines, I, I remember very vividly, uh, because this is one of the first times I actually saw someone look at me and just hate me. Uh, this is when I was in Iraq, and we had we, had, we hemmed up a, a legit extremist terrorist fighter um and you know most of the kids were kids at this point in the game there weren't a lot of real hardliners most of those guys were vacationing in Dubai or whatever waiting for everything to end to come back but this dude was gnarly hard Mm -hmm. as woodpecker lips and i just saw the way he looked at me anyways All of that is the context to say once we actually started talking. Mm -hmm. Dude, there wasn't a lot that actually separated us other than maybe like religion and stuff. But at the end of the day, he just wanted a better life for his family mm-hmm. and for the ones, his loved ones' families. And so we were all just thinking about our kids. You know, we're thinking the same thing like, we got to end this crap because we don't want our kids to have to be worrying about all this stuff, too. And so this very interesting dynamic. And actually, we never really got close, but I mean, it was like, like you're saying, we were able to really lower the temperature of our interactions um even though i think at the end of the day still wanted to kill me (laughs) um he didn't want to do it quite as like vehemently as he did when we first started you know i first like hemmed them up that was probably not the great way to you know it wasn't like surprise party you know it was more (laughs) like surprise you are coming with us or going to buka, anyways but um it was uh, it was very interesting. I nef- never really even thought of that aspect actually until we just started talking. Yeah, so that's yeah,
2: because cool. you know, just think about how many times we those relationships on the ground, they 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 uh, brought the temperatures down, and something didn't happen. You know, bad mm-hmm. could have more bad could have happened, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 you know, something else could have broken out. So that's critical. I think that's part of our national security strategies too. That's one of the things with Congress I think about is that how can we do better? We talk. I mean, um, I'm not a pacifism. You know, right, I mean, right right. I think we need to have a good national defense, we need to keep our communities safe, we need to keep the world safe, we need to protect uh, you know our borders. But I think that we need to continue to rethink is that how can we meaningfully build relationships, have good economic relationships with countries that everybody can thrive? because when mm-hmm. I talk to young so I, because I've al- also been a college professor at George Mason, So I'm talking to a lot of college students and the three things that um, for the first time in many generations, you know, that hope of college and the promise of tomorrow, you get a good college education so you can have upward mobility. Right now, there's this sense of helplessness amongst college students, right, is that they're seeing uh, the three things they talk about, the climate, of Mm -hmm. course, Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, then they talk about the local political, you know, division right and they talk about the global affairs it keeps coming up right and they're also tying all of this is that while this is going on is that uh cost of everything is high living is high costs of tuition and debt so they just really feel down Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. so i think we have to you know uh, our generation has to turn things around and you know uh, hand off a better future because every generation wants to hand off uh The situation in a better position than we we got it. So right now you know there's just too much going on um, that we need to kind of get a grip of it so they don't feel so helpless. Um, And I think that it's really important for a future generation that we you know address a lot of these things um, thoughtfully. I think it's also important for our national security also is that how are we working with other countries. I think that sometimes Things get really siloed off and we just go, go, go. And we forget to connect the dots that, hey, how what is it going to, right. what are these unintended consequences that is going to result in?
0: So, yeah. What's well, interesting, the dynamic, I guess, just in this room. So, a mother of adult children, yep. like we were talking earlier, you know, full on doing the thing that, you know,
1: adulting. adulting <laughs> full on adulting. Yeah.
0: You've got, um, twenty one and a sixteen. Yeah, so they're entering into the uh, like the full on adulthood, uh-huh. not just the like. Hey, I'm still sort of a dependent. Like, no, you're you're it, man. Like, this is gonna be. And then mine are you know nine and six, so they're they're still just trying to figure out how to get more playtime. But I think it, it's interesting. I guess to just if we could all, I guess, just sort of talk about like what is that like as us sort of the you know, handing off the baton in all these different phases of. The emerging generations, you know, because we've got all of the upcoming gener—guess full on and generational people now who are our decisions uh, impact, obviously, what is ahead for them. And when we're talking about like for the first time, I think ever, this upcoming generation is not as hopeful as the previous um, so I guess as a parent, like, how is that? Like, what is, what is that?
1: Like, well, and I have them kind of at two ends of that because I have one, you know, there's such a big age gap between my mm-hmm. three. My yeah. oldest is, what did I say? She's 35. Um, I just outed her for being 35 and my youngest is 24. So they're you know, I've got two millennials and a, uh, Gen Z mm-hmm. and for sure, my youngest definitely doesn't have that same sort of optimism about the possibility of the future in this country, uh, that my, that my oldest had. And, um, Ooh, that's a compliment. I'm not used to, uh, people asking me the questions I'm supposed to ask the questions. I don't know. It, it it is a tricky, it is a tricky thing to navigate because, um, you definitely see that difference in, in how things are even and how, um, you know, what, what they expect, what their peers expect, what they're saying, um, well, I'm going to have to give that a little more thought.
0: Yeah, Interesting. Yeah. And of
2: what about you? you no, know, I think, yeah. So uh, one is 21, one is 16, and they think very differently uh, too. But um, yeah, they're having these conversations. Uh, my 16-year-old is not as academically inclined as the older one. So he's you know As like,
0: 16 year olds are wants to do yes, right yes play yeah. video games yeah.
2: mma fighting like yeah. he just he spars like all the time like he's a big boy he's good that nice. he wants to be you know a, a, a mma fighter that's his thing or a billionaire so yeah right like a mma billionaire yeah right. MMA billionaire. uh but so um i think so he doesn't think that college he thinks college is a waste of time mm. um i've had this conversation with him smart kid uh, but he's like look you know, it's just not. My, my my friends and I we're not. I'll do something else. Yeah. Um so he, he thinks very differently. The older one. Older one wanted to go to college. We didn't put any pressure on him, like do what you want and but he they they're different. Yeah. But overall there is this sense of with both of them is you know, they're more jokey jokey where they kind of mock the divisiveness okay. in our country. They make fun of it. They're like, Look, this is what yeah, like everybody is show. boxing. Yeah. 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 This right. is funny. This is funny. <laughs> so they take it a little bit differently, but there is a sense of that, hey, there's this uncertainty of what's happening. Uh, but just that's just anecdotally speaking. But I think yeah. at a wider scale, as I talk to a lot of young people, uh, you know, there is a sense of helplessness. And, you know, uh, many of them also, if you think about it, we have a flatlining of people. Uh, uh, people having children too, right? It's, yeah, that's right. The, yeah. So, you know, because the cost of living is so high in areas and, you know, that's, that's where it is having an adverse impact. People are waiting to have kids a little bit longer mm-hmm. or not having them. Like, uh, there's a big a divide, uh, a generational gap between me and my youngest brother, 10 years. So him and his wife waited a while. They just had their first baby, right? Oh, They're 35. Wow, okay. They waited because they wanted to settle in their careers. So it's a very different mindset even within my own family. Mm. Um, so there has been this shift that's occurred with millennials and upcoming Gen Zs where I think we need to kind of turn things around uh, because we want folks to, you know, enjoy life, uh, be healthy. Yeah. Uh, you know, if they choose to grow a family. And
0: stuff. And, and that, that cultural outlook isn't a light switch, right? Like, I mean, as Gen Xers... Dude, I'm still as cynical as I practically, um, and, you know, and, and and everything is sort of a self fulfilling prophecy. Like, I expected it suck. It sucked, so uh, I I, I win, was right. You know? I yeah, knew. I win, you know, like, yeah. where's you know, turn Pearl Jam back on? Um, yes, can we do that? Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, and so, it, it, I think we there is a, a responsibility for us to sh- I mean. It's hard. And pay- I mean, it's hard. It's got to be hard work. And obviously, you would know more than anybody else in this room. But that's just had to be extremely hard work to say, like, no, there is a lot to be optimistic about. Yeah. Or there is, like, this, you know, a- a- in the Marine Corps, one of the things that conversation topic that comes up all the time as we're talking Gen Z is grit. Like, how do we teach resilience? How do we reinforce grit? Um, and so... I, and I guess it leads me into the, the question as we're talking about your, your sort of trans, transitioning from being you know, in the trenches as a teacher to then into public policy. Mm-hmm. Like where – do you ever look back and go, oh, these things that I know now would have made me such a better teacher here? Or do you, is it the opposite? Like oh, all of my experiences sort of being in the trenches have really helped me focus uh you know where I want to achieve sort of my public policy career.
2: Yeah, so, so both are true. Yes okay. and yes. Uh, uh for true and and I think that kind of touching on the earlier conversation, closing a loop on that is that just my own example, you know, y- you can have a really fruitful all- awesome life, right? I mean, I I've, I've you know been very very uh, blessed to have that and you can do that. And I think touching your point on grit and resiliency is important. How do we You know, build that, Mm -hmm. uh, build the muscles. Yeah, yeah. For young people to do that, it's important because we want to give them hope that hey, you can. Uh, You know, we're the land of opportunity, the best model that anybody's ever seen in the history of the world, and you know, we can do it. So going back to the the question about uh, you know transitioning, so uh, it's I was the uh, I've been the only one. uh, to serve as Secretary of Education in Virginia, and I think maybe anywhere in the country, that came right out of the classroom. Yeah. So people ask, how did that happen? It's just, I think being at the right place at the right time. Uh, so I began to organize a lot of my teacher friends about a decade plus ago, because there were a lot of issues in the county I was teaching at with funding with for schools. So that... Uh, you know civic engagement and organizing them and being vocal about it and uh, really organizing votes uh helped uh kind of you know help me stand out so when governor northam gets elected a lot of people were advocating they're saying hey this person he knows a lot uh, learn has learned a lot about education is very passionate about it uh the governor's like yeah I, it would be really cool to have a teacher fresh perspective in richmond we've never had that i want to focus a lot on education also so it's just the stars aligned. Mm. You know, so that's how it happened. Okay. Um, but Interesting. I helped. Yeah. That so
0: wasn't something you're, you're like, do to do, do remember me? Like sending out flyers and stuff like this was, was totally a gra- sort of a word of mouth. Yes. Network grassroots. Yes. So, yeah.
2: yeah. It was, it was not, I mean, I didn't even know what secretary of education was really. <laughs> right. But honestly, but he gets elected. Um yeah. And he had talked about it, and then um, I looked it up, and I'm like, oh, Secretary of Education oversees all of the schools in Virginia, all of the colleges and universities, all public, right? And all the museums, and so I'm like, it's a $19 billion budget. So it's, you can't even imagine, Your classroom teacher making 52 grand a year when I was making, you know, <laughs> yeah, two yeah. masters. You can't imagine, uh, you know, cause I was looking at the profile and it's the people before me, they've been CEOs of this or president of the, that, right? It's just unimaginable.
1: That, what you just said, is unimaginable to me. And shame on me for having lived in Virginia for 20 years and not knowing that... He's
0: the first teacher. Yes, (laughs) and and that
1: CEOs of corporations are making decisions about education without ever having been in the classroom Mm -hmm. and been educators. Mm -hmm.
2: That's how the case was. That's where, so, uh, you know, here comes his governor. I mean, so he's like, hey, uh, it was just, yeah. uh, Everybody was like, Whoa, what happened? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. So it was cool. Um, but I, you know, uh, I'm like, OK, I'm given this opportunity for four years. I'm going to go all, all in. So was very fortunate. I had a supportive team, supportive boss and the governor. And, um, you know, we just went all in and kept held on to my personal experiences growing up and held on to all of the things I learned from my students and their families really really tight they were my top advisors I did a lot of roundtables with students actually no oh, that's awesome um, regularly you know getting out to schools um, and that they help shape policy I'm like hey what do we need you mm-hmm. know we're talking to teachers and counselors and stuff what do we need so we were able to just get a bunch of stuff done yeah. right I mean bunch of stuff and I know but we have a lot of other things to talk about but there's a lot of cool things a lot of that's uh, awesome
0: yeah, yeah. I, I I really it seems like it's not as common as it should be because it seems so intuitive. But it's like, rather than like force feeding agendas down, why don't you find out what it is that they need and then we'll actually shape our policy yeah. based off of what it the did. demand it signal is. And
2: you know, we got the largest expansion in pre-K. We got 15% salary increases for teachers. So that was the number one thing is that we keep doing like one or 2%. Like, let's go all in. It
0: doesn't even match inflation.
2: It doesn't match inflation. Right. And we're so behind. So that was a big thing. And it's helping a lot of people because many public servants, like, uh, you know, uh, Marines who are public servants, right? The salary is, you know, not that good. You know, you're struggling. Um, and a lot of uh, teachers have, you know, b- we're both of the, par- uh, you know, spouses are teachers, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so they struggle and many of them can't afford to live in Loudon or Fairfax or Prince William. They have to drive in from somewhere, right? They mm-hmm. might choose to live in Falkier or Stafford, right? And they have to drive in. So it's really, really tough um, on them. So we just need to pay them <laughs> um, accordingly. So that was the thing is that, you know, I think that having that sense of urgency as a teacher, having gone through that struggle, it was a constant reminder and then but, uh, another big thing was establishing a free community college because that's another option and gateway for upward mobility. Virginia, has we were way behind. Like, um, I've seen all these other states have it. Like, why don't we have it? Um, so that's that was really, uh, really critical. But one thing that you had, uh, you know, mentioned in your notes earlier is that in the 50s and 60s, there is 70 percent of Congress used to have military. Yeah, weapons. I was one. I
0: definitely wanted to touch on this. Yeah. I know it could be like. There's a yeah. There's you a. Sit segway. here and talk to you about all kinds of yeah, stuff. Yeah, like but there's a segue because I, you know, yeah,
2: because it it ties into what I'm, uh, you know, this earlier comment is that, you know, I looked into that because it made me think. Okay, why now? Why is it at 17 or 18 mm-hmm. percent? But if you think about it, a lot of veterans are not millionaires. They're not rich. Right. Okay. They're coming from public service. Um, so what's happened in the last few decades is that. A lot of rich people end up running for Congress who are millionaires, or- Well,
0: because it costs a lot to run a campaign, a lot. right?
2: costs a lot, or they're bought off by a lot of special interest mm, groups, right, right, right? So they're fully financed. Um, so it's not only veterans, but folks who represent middle-income families are not represented in Congress because they don't have the resources to run because it's very, very expensive. So I think, I, I don't think that what Congress used to be historically, um, you know how initially uh, in the the inception of our country, it was more aristocrats, right? But I think it balanced out that more working and middle class uh, people were represented in Congress. But then I think it's going back to that again, right, where the pendulum has shifted. And I think that's the big disconnect is that if you haven't really had those struggles, then I think, uh, you know, I'm not saying that folks who are born wealthy don't have empathy. You can understand and relate. And I think there are a lot of good people in Congress. But I think that The sense of urgency is missing. It's not tangible.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, and another disconnect, in my opinion, is that I don't think the original intent was that you go serve in public office and camp out there for your entire life. That's right. That, you know, you're supposed to serve your country, and then you go back to what you're doing. And then maybe you serve again in another... some swanky digs. I know, I know, I know. (laughs) Um, So... uh, I think that's also where the disconnect is, and and that also, you know, you were talking earlier about, the finding common ground, being able to lower the temperature, um, in a heated situation. So when you stay in that very insulated community, which is, you know, public office, you don't you don't necessarily um, keep honing those skills in how to open your mind to get along with new people and hear new points of view. Um,
0: Yeah, I guess just just to hit on some of those data points that uh, Atif was was mentioning. So the 118th Congress, which was the previous year, Mm -hmm. only had 18%, which was an increase from 17% from the, the 117th Congress the year before but in the 70s and 80s it was as high as it was like in the 70th 70th say in the 70th the percentsile was in the 70s um and it's such an interesting demographic shift uh as we look at especially as we're, as we're talking divisiveness I mean as you mentioned like just but in lieu of us both being Marines mm-hmm. we were able to really achieve common ground and I think for service members in general, you get that sort of idea that like mission accomplishment trumps all. Mm-hmm. So what do we got to do to accomplish the mission? You know, I mean, like working with a combined task force, for example, like I've got the Navy Navy. You know, doing their thing. I've got to work with soft bubbas to give me the intel and to shape the battlefield. I need the grunts, man, because I need boots on the ground. I got to coordinate air and fires. None of us see this thing the same way. Air's going to tell you, if I don't bomb, you lose. The grunts are going to say, if I don't hold the ground, you're never going to get here. The Navy's going to say, like, well, if we don't get you there, what are you going to do? You know, if we don't maintain these shipping lanes, everybody's got their thing and will argue till they're blue in the face that they're the best. But at the end of the day, we've got to come together to achieve this thing because uh, that's what we do. We, we accomplish the mission. This is what service members do. I think there's also the idea of self-sacrifice in the name of service. Mm-hmm. But I also think, too, like coming off of World War II, Korea, Vietnam, there just was a – with the draft in, in particular, yeah. there was just a higher population to pull from yeah. as yep. well. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to discount it. As much, but I do think that there's something to be said for veterans continuing their public service, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and then having term, li- or I don't want to call it term limits because this is a political show, but having a sense that, like, I can now pass the baton
1: that to the next public industry. service has a lot of different meanings, yeah. let um, yeah. I mean, just think about all
2: the classy folks who have served, like John McCain, Bob Dole, others, right? Who have had amazing impeccable
0: service and they have been leaders yeah i mean george george herbert g dub mm-hmm. like the bush the bushes they get yeah i mean you read hear the stuff about george herbert I man like this dude was <laughs> Like this gnarly guy, man.
1: I was lucky enough, um, just before the pandemic, actually, to to have a sit down interview with uh, Senator John Warner. Okay. And he had an incredible life of public service in the Navy, in the Marine Corps, um, and then in in Senate, in the Senate. And he talked about how it was when he first got elected, how there was this sort of I don't want to say underground group, but but all the Marines kind of found each other, and it didn't matter which party they were representing. They did exactly what you talked about, Vic. They they came together. They put differences aside to accomplish the most important mission. Right. And um, you know, he. Well, it, we it just was finished an interesting talking about
0: the book Wingmen. Yeah. Right? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. John Glenn and and um,
1: Ted Williams. Ted Williams,
0: man, like. Mm-hmm. Because they're veterans, right? Right, like, right. This, this they're very different politically. now.
1: Yeah. And, and it didn't matter that they both came from such different places politically. Mm-hmm. They were able to find common ground in their discussions, and um, they stayed friends for life. Yeah, they
0: didn't even agree on how best to employ their <laughs> weapons platform. Right. 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 Um, anyways, uh, uh, this has been so great. Yeah. I could sit here, honestly, and talk to you for like hours and upon hours, upon hours, um, but... Um, I wish you nothing but the best. Thank you. Semper Fidelis, Mac. Ooh, like, uh, this Semper is so fi. good. Um, What, just as we close out, like, because of all this transition that you've done, like, what could you, what sort of nuggets of wisdom, pearls of wisdom do you have for our listeners as far as, like, handling transition for those Marines who are either doing a MOS switch, getting out of the Marine Corps, for our listeners who are looking all of the various ways that we transition things and it creates anxiety mm-hmm. and the fear of the unknown mm-hmm. and what what are some of the things that you would yeah so i
2: think them? i think you never end up being a marine. You know, once a marine always a marine i mean it's still i've been out for 20 years but you still wake up one night and have dreams about it yeah. you know? yeah, yeah. Uh, so i think my recommendation would be two things um is uh you know, uh, as you're transitioning, especially from military service to civilian life, to take it one step at a time. I've seen uh, some of my friends, you know, struggle with that, uh, that you kind of you're part of, uh, you know, an organization that really looks out for you. There's a safety net there. And in the civilian life, it might not be there. So kind of taking it one step at a time, taking it easy. If you are a fam- person who values families and friends, keeping them close because uh, it can be tough on sure. family. Uh, and then the culture we're
0: talking about, like, yes. s- feels so isolated, you know, yes. even though you've got, like, all of the grams. Yep, yep. Yeah.
2: And then staying in touch with uh, fellow Marines, like, I've stayed in touch with some of them over the years, seeing how, you know, where they are now, and it's, I think it's that, you know, is important. So, somebody who can relate to your experiences, because many people can't, right? So I think that if you're in touch with a few folks who can relate to your experiences so that helps with the transition.
0: Yeah, awesome. So good. Yeah, this has been so great. Thank Thank you you so much for making the trip down. I do, I would be 100% uh percent remiss if i didn't thank um zaid for actually putting us in yeah. touch and he was a former student student yeah yeah, yeah. see again oh, wow. i didn't realize that yeah so i got an email so um fan of the show so shout out um but uh we have one yay yes yeah <laughs> we have many one. um but yeah so he was has enjoyed our straight talks with uh dr hunziker And he was like, hey, I've got a wonderful guest for you. And he was not wrong. This has been so amazing. So thank you you so much for coming down, uh, for entertaining us, and for just uh, shooting the breeze with us about this extremely important
1: topic. we keep us posted? Yeah, and absolutely.
0: 100. Yes, yeah. Yeah. yes. Wish,
2: wish me luck. Yes, absolutely. We definitely wish you yeah.
0: wish you all the luck. And yes. then let's get, try to get you back on the show. Yeah. Yes, absolutely.
2: And uh, and, uh, promise, uh, you know, after in office, I'll definitely come back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. awesome. That was a Marine's promise, not a politician's
0: promise. That's outstanding. <laughs> love it, yeah. love yeah. it. Yeah. Awesome. All right, thank you so much. Of course. Thank you all. The Marine Shop would like to extend a happy new year to our servicemen and women, friends, and families of the Corps. For over 60 years, the marine shop has prided itself on high-quality uniforms and expert tailoring. Whether you've snagged a seam, lost a button, or need your medals and ribbons updated, we're here to help. Act now for your uniform repairs and updates before it's too late. Stop by our Quantico location or contact a customer support specialist at 888-237-7683 for additional information. The Marine Shop also carries an array of tactical gear, apparel, and decor. From helmet bags and knives to t-shirts and decals, the Marine Shop has your Marine Corps needs covered. We carry items from trusted brands such as K-Bar, Smith & Wesson, and Under Armour. Shop online at www.marineshop.net or in store at our Quantico locations for deals and new products. With the holidays behind us and 2024 fully underway, get a jump on any of your uniform and equipment needs. The Marine Shop has your Marine Corps needs covered. Scuttlebutt is a production of the Marine Corps Association. I am William Truding, but you've also heard the voices or contributions of Vic Rubel, USMC Retired, Ante Lichman, or Ty Frazier. The opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect the official stance of the Marine Corps, DOD, or Marine Corps Association.